We are coming up on three years, more than 150 distinctive episodes of this podcast, in her words, which started out as Man Listening. And now the podcast is sponsored by my day job, my business, which is called Voice Locket, voicelocket.com. I want you to check it out and see if I can be of service to you. Uh, because I believe in telling people stories. And we're telling a great one this week. <laughs> uh, this woman, Dominique Johnson, is my assistant. She's my new assistant. She calls herself a virtual assistant, but she's very real. And um, because she's local, she and I do meetings together, and she's whipped my calendar into shape and she's whipped my email into shape, and now she's whipping me into shape and being much better organized and more efficient the way I juggle all these media responsibilities. Not easy being a media mogul. You know, it's a tough job. Somebody has to do it. So I am so grateful to Dominique Johnson. Her company is called VA Savvy like virtual assistant, V-A Savvy, but there are three V's, S-A-V-V-V-Y. And we have mutual good friends in the form of Kim Honeycutt, the therapist in Huntersville, who I had coffee with this morning, and who I heard preach at Watershed Church. She invited me and who does a lot of work in the mental health community. And she's been a past podcast guest, and that's the way it works, you know, and but she came highly recommended from a number of folks. And so thanks to them. And you'll hear her reference, Kim Honeycutt. But today, an amazing woman, Dominique Johnson. We had a two hour conversation of this is what we've been doing. This is where we live. This is your granddaughter. This is is In Her Words, a podcast from manlisting.com, featuring one man listening to the stories of real women in their own words. In Her Words, a conversation worth hearing because every woman deserves to be heard. Hey there, hi there, ho there, I'm Stuart Watson, and this is In Her Words, and thank you for joining us. And I think you'll really get a lot out of this story very compelling and inspirational. Dominique Johnson grew up here, easily could have gone many wrong paths, and instead has been married to her high school sweetheart, and now they are great parents and also great entrepreneurs. And they joined me and Lorraine at our dinner table a couple weeks ago, and we just had a blast. We had so much fun, connected right away, and she's also basically helps me out being my assistant. So you're going to be really impressed. I, I know I was. Dominique Johnson. Uh, where were you born? I was born in Concord, North Carolina. Hospital or home? Hospital. And for your mother, your number what of how many? I'm the first one, but I do have a stepsister as well. So your mother had another another child yep coming into like before you after me after you yep so that's a half sister 
Thank you. I was trying to figure that out. I'm horrible at that. She's my half sister. Yep. Okay. So there's there's half the genes. Yes. There's not yep. same mother, same father. Two there's... different fathers. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that, do you get along with this half sister? You ever see her or anything? Um. Yes or no. We do get along, but we're very distant. We don't really talk that much. Um, there's a huge age difference. So I'm 34 and she's 20. Oh, okay. And so... So this was way after. Yeah, so my mother had her when I was a teenager, so like 14, 15 years. So did you ever have to babysit? All the time, all the time. I was the caretaker, so like my mom will get up super early to go to work. My, um, my father, or my, the guy, he wasn't, they weren't married at the time, but like he will get up. I would get up so to stepfather, stepfather yeah, figure. That would have been a stepfather. Yeah, and so I would have to get up in the middle of the week, two hours before I got up to go to school to get her ready. <laughs> and for this, you were paid? Absolutely nothing. I got paid free meals and a free. <laughs> free How about <laughs> thank you? No, no, I never got. We appreciate I never, you. No, I never. You're such that. a good. Big sister. <laughs> I guess that's why I need so much, like, what's the word? I need so much, like, validation because I never got that when I was growing up or even when I was taking care of a human being. I never received that. So how do you ask for that validation or do you just manipulate people to give it to you? I don't know how to manipulate people to do that. I guess do I would you straight up ask? No. To ask for those comments or to yeah. ask for those comments what, what makes you feel validated, validated? um is the actions it's the actions as people actually seeing me like i don't like to be on a pedestal i like to do things because i i enjoy doing it and so my thing is people being able to see that and every now and then getting like a pat on the back like i i see that you've done such a good job and you've worked so hard but i don't need to receive that all the time What's an example recently that's sort of top of mind that you did something, mm -hmm. someone noticed, and they said, and they showed you their appreciation in some way? Like you felt a warm fuzzy. Yeah. I was at a birthday party last, towards the end of October, and there was an individual like we have been trying to get together. We've been trying to, you know, just have like in-person conversations and they've been busy. I've been busy. And so I try not to make a big deal. And I always just send them texts like, hey, just thinking about you. Hey, just praying over you. Hope you're doing great. They never responded back. Those people that never respond because they're so busy, they don't have the time to respond. Well, how do you know it's because of that? Because I always take it personally. Yeah, I try not to take it personally. I think that's just years of <laughs> You're just You're a better like, person. <laughs> it's just years of knowing that people go through a lot of things and I, I, can't, I can't be that person that's putting this, it's like an unexpected expectation. Like I expect you to respond back because I know if someone texts me, I want to respond back to them immediately. Not everyone has that same thought process. So this person, you know, I, she came up to me and she was like, I know you've been texting me. You've been, we've, we've been trying to get up, but there's just been so many things going on. And I said, it's okay. I, I extend grace to you. And because I said that she just, she didn't know what to do. She was in tears 
because I made that statement. And then she posted on her social media that that word, I see you, I extend grace, it's okay. Like that was exactly what she needed in that se- in the season of her life of being busy and not responding back. And that was a sign of appreciation that even the, the words of, I extend grace to you, it's okay, I know you're busy, I don't take it personal. The fact that someone was affected by that in a good way, it made me feel so good about myself that even those words have such a strong impact. Did she call you out by name on social media? She did. She oh, did. If she had not used your name, probably wouldn't have been as effective. I think I probably would have known that it was me because she literally put exactly what I said. Mm-hmm. And I probably would have known that she was talking to me without even her tagging me in the post. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's nice. Um, I don't exactly know what you mean when you say, I extend grace. Yeah. Is that like, I forgive you? What it, what, I, mean, I what think is a it? lot of people, um, I mean, it's, it's, I feel like a lot of people will use it in that terminology, like, you know, the forgiveness. And I think, you know, extending grace can mean a lot of things. It could mean I forgive you. It could mean like, it's okay. You know, when we tell ourselves we have to extend grace to ourselves, sometimes we can mean I forgive myself or sometimes we're so hard on ourselves. And for me, that's that was the content. Like, I extend grace. I'm not going to be hard on you. I'm not going to say, well, you should have responded. You should have texted me when I, because I was asking how you're doing. How's life? How's your heart? And you don't respond. You know, some people will just be like, okay, well, they don't want to talk to me anymore. We're not friends. And so when you get a different response or when someone say, it's okay, I give you grace, it just means like, I sh- I see you. Like, I'm not going to be hard on you for not responding back to me in a text. Why do it? To say that? Yeah, I mean, why extend grace? What's the point? I why feel- not hold it as a chit and say, <laughs> yeah, you owe me? <laughs> because I feel like when you hold bitterness and when you hold resentment, it weighs on you. It, it weighs on you and it makes you look at people in a different perspective. Well, I'm, I'm thinking more, why not use it as leverage to say, yeah, you can buy me lunch and make <laughs> it up. Because we're not in high school. We're not in high school. We well, can't. some people are stuck in high school. <laughs> some of us are not as good as you, okay? That's what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> I, just, I think for me, it's just I've spent majority of my life holding grudges and holding holding this level of leverage um, and specifically keeping score, keeping score, keeping tally marks, you know, and I, I spent half of my life doing that, you know, especially in my 20s. I'm 34. Um, and I just there's no benefit of holding grudges. There's no benefit. And, you know, trying to leverage up, you know, trying if someone does something bad to you. And they just they're just a horrible person. They're never going to say they're never going to hold accountability and say, I did this to you. I'm so sorry. And I feel like some of us want those types of people to hold accountability and say, hey, I'm sorry. Okay, I forgive you. I forgive you. We It's like this power trip. And I've just spent years. Or they'll say, it's all good when it's, but it's really not. not. And exactly. you can tell. And so I just, I did that. I did that with my own mother. I held a grudge because of the, the things that happened in my life. Like what? Um, I was abused. I was a victim of child abuse. And mm-hmm. it was two and a half years of being a victim of child abuse. I'm sorry. 
when I was little. And I feel like that kind of, you know, the abandonment and just feeling like she, I never had a mother that loved me. I never had a mother figure. I had an actual mother, but I never knew what it meant to be loved by a mother because the love was getting stuck in a room and told to take off your clothes and I will beat you for 15 minutes until you're bleeding. And so that level of bitterness and resentment, knowing that I would never get an apology, knowing that she would never hold accountability for the things that she did. I, and I wanted that. So I spent five plus years waiting to see if she would hold accountability and it never happened. And so I had to learn how to just move on. Was this change or shift Mm -hmm. something that occurred suddenly or did it take a while? It took a while. Like I, you know, I moved out when I was, after I graduated high school, I moved out a couple months after I graduated high school, started working. Um, No more babysitting. No more babysitting at this time. At this point, my my half sister was a toddler at the time. Um, But yeah, it was a little, it's a sense of my mother had so much control over me and she wanted to keep me under wraps. She was afraid to let me do the things that I wanted to do because she was afraid that I was going to make the same mistakes that she did. Um, And so it was just, it was taking that. My grandmother passed away and I was mad when my grandmother passed away because I was raised by her. And so many negative thoughts came out of that. And I don't know, like my husband and I, we started talking about having a child and I was just like, I'm not ready to have a kid because I feel like there are some things that I need to, I can't move forward from. And I don't want that to, I don't want to bring that into a relationship with a child. Did he say anything to you? Baby, you got to let this go. Did he? No. So my husband and I, we are high school sweethearts. And so he has been with me and he's, he's seen a lot of stuff that's happened in our teenage years. And so he knew, he knew my mother. He saw the good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) He experienced all of that. She didn't whip him. No, no, but she definitely didn't like him. (laughs) And so he saw all of that. He saw all the things that I went through. He, he know, he knew my story. And so when we decided to move out, he thought it was the best decision ever that I was taking myself out of a environment that was not good. It was toxic and deciding to be independent. And we're doing this life together and we're making our own history. We're, we're kind of writing out, writing our own history and making our own, you know, making our own little, whatever you want to call that. <laughs> what do you call it? <laughs> I don't know. Family making, is what you made. Making our own family, but we're also, we're writing our own family mission and values and the things that we experienced we were, when we were little. We're breaking those generational cycles. We're breaking the cycle of drugs and alcohol and all of that stuff. And we're surrounding ourselves and with people. And whipping kids till they bleed. <laughs> well, I mean, you hadn't whipped well, your daughter till she bleeds, right? I did not whip her. I never laid my hands on my daughter because I never wanted her to experience that type of pain. So I never, I always, how I raise my daughter now is how I wished I was raised when I was growing up. Having a healthy conversation, having a healthy dialogue. 
her being able to feel comfortable to tell me things. I experience Grace as being a, a very loaded Christian term. Yeah. Um, what I'm wondering is, <laughs> uh, what does it mean to you? Well, my daughter's middle name is Grace. Uh. <laughs> So obviously, so very means, important. It's very, very important to me. And for me, the grace means um, patience. Mm. It means it's to, it means being patient to other people, even when they don't deserve mm-hmm. patience. It means loving people where they're at, um, regardless of wherever they are at, whether that is a good thing or a bad thing, is loving them where they at, because we we never know what other people are going through. We never know, are they experiencing some type of trauma? Are they being abused at home? Um, whether they're a child or, or an adult, are they being abused by their family member? You are a bit exceptional in this regard. I submit as evidence, Your Honor, um, <laughs> the dictionary.com definition uh-huh. of grace, which you have to go one, two, three, four, Five to get to mercy, yeah. clemency, pardon. Especially since this word is important enough that you assigned it to your daughter, mm-hmm. I want to hear all about that. Yeah. Why did you name her Grace? Um, <laughs> I felt like it was a name that fit her. I felt like it was a name that fit um our family like my husband and I I felt like her that me naming her that means I don't know it was just so much thought went into that name and it's based off of all of the the shit that I went through growing up um it was a clean break yeah yeah I you know my family are big churchgoers or if you know once a quarter if you count, if you count that they didn't go to church every sunday they you know my family is from newberry south carolina um and they they didn't have a home church in concord north carolina so they will go to newberry south carolina during christmas time during easter during the summertime um to participate in the church activities and it was it was meaningful i didn't I didn't. I had no idea. I was just going for the ride, um, and so in my teenage years, I didn't really. And that's that's where the grace parts become tricky because in my teenage years, I'm noticing and picking up the spirituality that my family has, and noticing that okay, we say that we are churchgoers. We say that we believe in Christ, but in these four walls, you're drinking every day. You're putting your hands on my grandmother. You're putting your hands on me. My mother definitely was not the example of a true Christian woman, just based off of things that she would say and her actions. And so I always had this, you guys are hypocrites. You guys are not, you guys go to church and you say you believe this and you believe God, but your actions say otherwise. You're doing things against. Would you confront her? My mother? Mm-hmm. I have. Oh, yeah. But I mean, when you were a teenager, would you? We've, we've had altercations when When I was you a got big enough. 
when I was big enough to protect myself, yes. Mm. Yes. And so as I got older, and especially senior year of high school, I decided to become an atheist. I was like, nope. I'm not following in my family's footstep. I refuse to be a hypocrite. I refuse to tell you, Stuart, that, oh, God, is great is and amazing. And here I am mm-hmm. doing negative things, the opposite of what a Christian would do. So what got you back in church? Uh, my grandmother passing. Uh, mm-hmm. How did she die? Um, she had pneumonia. And it just... How old was she? She was in her 50s. I think she was late 50s. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's young. She also had a lot of medical um, medical things that was going on as well. So when she got pneumonia, it was just like the cherry on top of the pie. And how old were you? I was um, 22 when she passed away. Wow. So your grandmother was just like 30-something years older than you. So, yeah. So your grandmother, was she a teenage mom? I don't remember. Um, but she your had, mom was She certainly. had seven kids. Yeah. My grandmother had seven kids, and they were all from the same person. So I don't remember how old she was when she she got married very young. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know all of the information as far as with, like, how old she was when she got married and when she had her first child. Yeah. Um, she just she went through a shit ton of stuff. And I think that the woman that I am today is because of her. Um, she is literally the phoenix. Like she is beauty rising from the ashes because she went through a marriage that almost killed her, literally, um, and was you in and out of the hus- hospital. Her husband, her almost husband almost, almost killed her. Yeah, it and wasn't she, a marriage. It was him. It was him. Yeah, but just you know, being in a marriage where you're you're the only one that's doing all of the things, and you're the only one that's taking care of your kids. Um, yeah, she she went through she went through a lot of stuff, and then my mother had me at, as a teenager, and so I came back to faith because at this point, when my grandmother passed away, and I'm still holding a grudge and having this bitterness towards my mom. I don't know, like it. I had I had a handful of friends that kept telling me it's time for me to come back to church. It's time for me to go to church. I wasn't. I was never, I didn't go to church. And why didn't you say no, no, no? I did, multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> but so like, why'd you go? Why didn't you just... So one friend I was working, I was co-worker, she was my co-worker, and she, you know, she was like, you should come to this church. It's great. It's different. It's non-dominational. And at the time, I was just like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't want to go back into, I don't want to go to church. I don't. I don't have a desire for it. Um, the second time, it was also another friend who was also my coworker, and she was, you know, her and her family were church hopping. And so I was like, I'll support you. I'll go with you and I'll church hop with you just for support. I don't want to have anything to do with church. Um, but honestly, Stuart, I got back into church because that was my grandmother's wish to get back into church, to get back into God. And her other wish was for me to reconcile with my mother. <laughs> so... And you did both. I did both, but it took a long time. It took all of my 20s. I did the first thing first, which was easy, was go to, go to church, find a church that I like, find a church that... How'd you find one you liked? Um, it was my friend. I She found a church um, that she really liked, and she kind of, she tricked me into going with her. <laughs> and what did you like about it? 
the pastor did a sermon. Um, so one, we went into a church and it was completely full. And so, of course, we had to sit in the front row, which was that's horrible. You, <laughs> you've never been to a place that you have to sit in the front row. <laughs> um, so we no, I'm a Presbyterian. We sat in the back I, row, no. the front five, ten rows were empty where I, I went to like, church. I was like, I'm a sinner. I shouldn't sit in the front row of a church. <laughs> You're going to be called out. <laughs> exactly. And so you can't go we, to sleep. And you can't go to sleep. I almost did. Um, so we sat in the front row and, and the pastor at the time gave a sermon about the relationship that he had with his father and how that relationship was not, you know, he was a son and a father. You would think that there would be a good relationship between a son and a father. And he always wanted his father to say, I'm proud of you. Good job. I love you. I see you. But he never got that from his father. And it was a similar situation that I had with my mother. My mother never told me that she loved me. My mother never told me that she was so proud that I was in this world, even though I was a oops, you're a mistake. (laughs) But I never gotten anything from my mother for me to even feel that she was a mother. And so when he gave that sermon, I perked right on up and I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> and I just like, kept this coming This is a man, back. this is a father's this son, is, but you, a, you had a similar, you, yeah. you identified. Yeah, and that, that got me, that got my attention. And also what stood out was this pastor, um, we were meeting, they were meeting at a school at the time. And this pastor steps down from the stage and sat on the front row, mind you, the front row that I was sitting in. He sat down with the rest of the people. And that was another, that was another thing that kind of was like, oh, I like that. He was not literally talking down right. to people. right. Right. He was eye to eye, Peter. You've used a phrase, and you keep using it, I see you. Yes. That means different things (laughs) to different people. (laughs) The literal thing is, yeah, my eyes work. (laughs) Or the hospital term, I see you. Yeah, or I see you. Mm -hmm. Um, What does I see you mean when you use it in that context, I see you? Like you told the, the woman at the party, (laughs) <laughs> who didn't return, who ghosted you. Yeah, um, I see you, I give I you I see grace. you, I give you grace. Yes. So I'm trying to deconstruct that phrase too. What does that mean? <laughs> I see you. Um, I think a lot of people, that's, that's all they want. I feel a lot of people feel like they're overlooked. And for me, I feel like majority of my years, I've always been overlooked. I've always been overlooked. I've always um, been the person that will be behind the scenes. And even though I don't want the recognition, it's always, for me, it feels good when someone say, I see you, I see the hard work, just like a compliment. Thank you, Dominique, for all the things that you're doing. It means so much when someone's able to see, Dominique, I see you. I see that you've gone through so much and people have hurt you in the past, but you kept persevering. You kept showing up. You never held a grudge. So I see the things that you're going through. I see your strength. I see your courage. Once I, I decided to go to this church that I went to that ha- I had my experience with and I started getting involved. I started volunteering. I started getting involved in small groups um, because I wanted to know, I wanted to have my own definition of what it looks like and what it means to have a relationship with God. 
um, instead of other people telling me how to have that relationship with God. And so being involved in a community group, women's group, I was able to understand that everybody has a different way of seeing God, looking at God. Um, And so in that, in learning who and what God means to me, I also learned that I held a lot of bitterness. I held a lot of resentment. And that, for me to be able to truly be free and to do all the things that God wanted me to do, I knew that I had to work with this bitterness, had to work with this resentment. Um, We saw each other all the time, my mother and I, because of funerals. My grandmother had seven kids. Right now, there's only two siblings. Mm -hmm. There's only two kids left, and that is my mother and my aunt. So during this time, her brothers were passing away. They had one sister. Everybody, the three girls and the rest were boys. And so we saw each other at funerals. And the interaction was weird. It was just like, hey, I go the other way. And I I had, I kept praying, you know, at this church, we, we light candles. And so every Sunday I lit a candle and I kept praying and asking God to give me the strength that I need to have a conversation, to even want to have a conversation with my mother. Um, and that took time. That took time to get me to a place where, okay, I've held this grudge, I've held, I've held this bitterness, this resentment for too long. Am I going to, am I going to just I didn't want to die from resentment. I didn't want to just live my life and being stressed out when she calls me or when she texts me or when she tries to find me on Facebook. (laughs) All these things happen. She tries to call me. She's stalking me and trying to, she's asking everybody, you know, do you know where Dominique is? Do you know where she lives? No, I haven't talked to her in years. And so I no longer wanted to get so anxious and stressed thinking that, I thought I've made it clear that I didn't want to have anything to do with her, but she keeps, she keeps wanting to have contact with me. And if you don't break certain chains that contains toxicity and it contains negative things, you carry that with you for the rest of your life. So even though all of these opportunities are coming to you, there's still something that's weighing you down. And that weight is the bitterness, that weight is anger, that weight is resent, resentfulness. And so that was the day that I was like, I want to be a chain breaker. I don't want weight to be held onto me. And that's when I decided to reach out to my mother and ask her if we can have lunch. How'd that go? I was very nervous. I almost canceled multiple times. Where'd y'all go? (laughs) Uh, We went to... TGI Fridays, but I was nervous and, you know, I texted, I was nervous about texting her, but I knew I, I knew I had to get it done if, cause if I didn't get it done, it was never going to happen. And she said, okay. She said, okay, no questions asked. And how'd the conversation go? And went, well, I decided to bring my daughter with me. Wow. That, you know, I don't, she's got to up her game. I decided to bring my daughter with me. I felt like it was time. And she wanted to be in that grandchild's life. I, and honestly, Stuart, I did this for my my daughter. I didn't do this for me. It was not fair for me to 
keep my daughter in the dark for something that happened with me. She had, it was way before her time. And if she wanted to have that relationship with her other grandmother, I didn't want to be the person to say no, because I'm selfish and I don't want you to have anything to do with her. And so it was because of her that I decided to reconcile my relationship with my mother. So the whole time I'm praying, God be in the center of that conversation. God, I need you to make miracles happen because I, the purpose of the conversation was not for us to go back in the past and for us to say, where have you been? How come this? How come that? I wanted us to just pick up from where we left off. Where are we? What are you doing? And that's what happened. We had a two hour conversation of this is what we're, this is what we've been doing. This is where we live. This is your granddaughter. It was a great conversation. She cried when she saw my daughter. And um, yeah, we left there and we just kind of went on separate ways. We, we don't talk as much. Every now and then she'll text me. But there's a sense of freedom because when she texts me, I no longer have this tense feeling. I no longer feel this type of anxiety or stress. It's just like, oh, I'll respond to her when I, when I have time. I want to, before I forget it, you mentioned a women's group. Yeah, I never had, never been around a group of women that were like-minded. Um, never been around, I mean, I've been around my family. <laughs> I've been around my family and their friends. And so it was really important for me to be surrounded by other women who were positive. They were positive, they were encouraging, they were uplifting. We live in a world where we have to be careful who we surround ourselves with. Um, you know, some people are negative, and so you are who you surround yourself with. And so I wanted to make it a point to surround myself with women who were just as loving, just as kind, just as badass as I was. <laughs> and Kim Honeycutt is one of those, she's all of the above. Um, and she's, you know, she's a very, and I also wanted to hang out with women that were real. They were honest. They were authentic with the things that they were going through. And they taught me how to be able to respond to certain things that I was going through or things that I could go through in the, in the future and being able to respond to that in a way that is, is helpful. They were imperfect. Healthy. They were broken. They made mm -hmm. mistakes and they made them publicly, at least in terms of the group. In a safe group. They they copped to right. their losing it. Yeah, yeah. And that's my thing. I want to hang out with people who are authentic. I want to hang out with people who are raw. Um, Do you think women, with these black and white women? Mm -hmm. Yeah, diverse. Do you, mm -hmm. do you think that women, black and white, are more likely to be able to own ugliness with a group of the same you know gender specifically the women group that i was a part of yes but sometimes it's hard to say that in other areas in life mm. um it just it really depends on if the it's groups. the junior league <laughs> yeah it really depends on the group the of people that you're with these specific women were authentic they were real. And it was the conversations that we were having that shown their their authenticity. <laughs> and so I get it just, I, I, it really depends now 
Like, I feel like nowadays women are so skeptical about hanging out with other women because the lack of authentic, you know, that authentic personality or the rawness. And it's always, we got to one up on each other. We're always in a competition with each other. Who did the most for their kids? Who did the most for their husbands? Who did the most for their friends? Who's pretty today? Who went yeah. to go travel? Um, and so it's, it's hard to find groups of women that you can just be yourself with. And that's why I said the group of women that I was around at that time, those were the group of women that were authentic and they were raw and they were trans, they were transparent. And those are the women that I, I try to find. And it's hard to do that now. Um, how much of that had to do with the fact that it took place within the context of faith? A lot. Because I'm coming, this is new, and so I have little faith. <laughs> I have little faith. Where were you, God, during this whole time of all the, all the crap that I went through, all the things that I saw? How have you answered that question for yourself? I felt like he was always there. I felt like I was the one that was stubborn and, and didn't really wanted to see his hand in all of it. Well, then how did God allow this physical abuse to take place? I think it was a way for me to to learn. Um, I, I hate, I feel like when people go through challenges, it's, you know, and other, other people will say, well, this is, God's hand is in this. God's hand is... Would you He's ever say reason. that to anybody? I would not, because that is that's horrible. <laughs> I would not. Unhelpful. It's unhelpful, and I just I don't want that other person to be like. I was furious with God, because I was again like if we if we if we say God's hand was in all of this, then this was on purpose. This was your fault, God, that all of this happened. Why did you let this happen? I don't have the answers for that. I do know that, you know, my faith in God, he has helped me. He's helped me along the way. He's helped me and how to deal with this on my own terms. Put Brian in your life. He placed my high school sweetheart who's in gym class making jokes into my life. <laughs> when you first encountered Brian, what was your initial, visceral, in-your-body, embodied reaction? I'm sitting in gym class, and you know he would do things, and he would get the whole class in trouble. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, he's cute and funny. <laughs> He and is cute. Did and you talk funny. to him first or did he talk I to you? I talked to him first. I actually wrote him a note. And in that note, it says, We don't have that note. Um, he, oh. he has it, and I think he misplaced it. Uh-oh. But I wrote him a note and I said, I've been, you know, I've been watching you for the past couple of weeks. And we're in gym class together. And we also have, we have the same schedule. And I wanted to know if you have a girlfriend, yes or no. Do you have little boxes I did. to check? I did. And did you get the note back I did. or did so he I, just I come up and talk to you? I think I asked him two questions. It was a two-part question. I asked him if he had it was a girlfriend. It was a questionnaire. It was a questionnaire. I asked him if he had a girlfriend and I also asked him if um, if not, would you date me? And so I had two, <laughs> two sets of yes and no's. Yeah. And so the first one was yes, he had a girlfriend. And obviously, obviously you know, he couldn't date me. Um, but two weeks later, he comes back to me. He said, I'm available. Yeah. 
See, my notes, Dominic, would be if I'm the last <laughs> man on earth. Which you yes take or me. no? Like, is this <laughs> radical this exclusion? This is a life or death situation <laughs> this now. A, this is a binary kind of, oh you know, if we were the last <laughs> two individuals. <laughs> and so, what I really want to know yeah. is um, I mean, if most people are not married to their high school sweethearts. Mm-hmm. Um, what, when did you know you were in love? And when did you know it was the capital T, one, <laughs> capital O? My husband will tell you that he knew from the moment he met me, I was the one. You believe that? I don't, and I tell him all the time. I was like, that's bullshit. <laughs> Nice story. <laughs> we should tell people that I, I there's some cursing involved in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they know. Okay, cool. Um, for me, it was, I had a altercation with my mother. Um, and this was when we, we were both 17. Um, and the altercation was a physical one. And I left the house, left the house, no shoes on had a phone, did not bring my charger. And we live, my, I live with my mom and we lived off of South Boulevard. And so when we had this altercation, I was like, fuck this, fuck you, I'm leaving. I'll figure everything else out. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I'm walking on South Boulevard with no shoes on, with my phone, texting all of my friends. Sure. I'm heading to my boyfriend's house who is now my husband, who lived... Barefoot walking. Uh-huh. Which, from walking, it takes about 25 minutes to get to his house. So I'm calling other people. He's the last person I call. So I'm calling other people because I need to figure out where to stay after this interaction. Um, no one picks up. And so he calls me back because I, I called him, left voice messages, sent him a whole bunch of text messages. He's asking me where I'm at. I told him I'm walking on South Boulevard with no shoes on and just a phone, and I've got 10% left <laughs> of battery. So we meet. Um, he was like, okay, I'm coming. My mom and I, we're going to meet you at a, a couple blocks down. So I'm sitting there. He shows up. We're talking, explaining what happened. And um, for, I don't know how all this happened, but we end up going back to his mom's apartment and we had a a circle meeting we had a family meeting it was him it was his mom it was me it was my mom it was my aunt it was my grandmother (laughs) and we just had a conversation about what happened where did this came from like what's going on and that was the moment i was so embarrassed first of all but that was the moment that i'm like okay, he's the one. Because I don't think any other 17-year-old boy would have done that. I think they would have ran away. <laughs> or said, let you and I run away. And Yeah. And that was the moment that I realized, okay, this is... You sat through all of the stuff that's happened. Like, they hashed it out we talked about years of things that's happened to us in the past and he sat there and i'm like well here you go you wanted to know who i am 
is out in the open and he, he stayed and he supported me and he loved me even more. And that was the moment where I'm like, okay, you're, you're it. You're the one. That makes me all warm inside. It makes you warm and fuzzy. <laughs> that is so sweet. But that's, yep. That is like the sweetest thing yeah. because he involved three generations. Yeah, and I don't know if my mom reached out to my grandparent or to my grandmother and my my aunt, and they coordinated with his mom. Well, she's not walking into that by herself. She needs True. <laughs> she needs somebody who's going to co-sign yeah, her bullshit, and, you know. And so it, that's somebody yeah. on her side. Actually, no, my grandmother was on. She didn't pick sides. Oh, yeah. She was just like, "How is she this going to work out?" Yep. And his poor mom was just sitting there. <laughs> Deer in the headlights. Like, my grandmother, oh my gosh, she didn't take size. She knew She knew my mom. That's her daughter. She also knew me. She raised me for most of my life. And so her thing was, y'all need to get y'all shit together. Mm-hmm. Work it out. But I can't. I don't like my, I don't like her. I hate her. Work it out. So that was her stance. Mm. That was her stance. And she called my mom out on her bullshit. She called me out on my bullshit. And she was like, the past is the past. You've got to move forward. You can't keep doing this. Mm. But it was so easier said than done. Yeah. So. Um, so you and Brian, did you live together from that point on? Or did we you? did not. I moved. I went back home to my mother and it was awkward. <laughs> it was all get out. But senior year, that's when we decided that we were going to move out and move in with each other. But we, we raised up enough money to put down a security deposit and a first month's rent. And we moved in a little tiny apartment together right after high school. I love it. Yep. Um, relatively few of those marriages last. There are a yeah. lot of those marriages, especially when children come along, and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, to what do you attribute the longevity of your relationship and marriage? What would I contribute? To what do you attribute? Uh, I don't know. Why have y'all lasted when so, so many long? do not? We're still figuring that out, to be honest with you. We are still figuring that out because because it's so rare, we take it one day at a time. We take it one day at a time. One of the things that we've, we've been through a lot, um, you know, especially moving in together as young as we were. Hormones are all over the place. Um, and never living with someone else on the opposite sex like that was just that was hard we were fighting all the time we were arguing all the time um and we we made a vow like hey happy medium happy medium if you don't like something that i said or vice versa let's try to find a happy medium and so that has been our motto i love that 18 years happy medium that's practical you all are entrepreneurs. You, you have a variety of yeah. entrepreneurial ventures. Yeah. VA Savvy is my baby. That's my company. With um, three Vs. With VA three Vs. and then Savvy yep. with three yep. Vs. Yeah, you got it. You got it. 
Um, and so that is my company. That is, you know, that I'm the face of that company. Um, but legally, he's a partner. Yes, he was the one that helped me start at that. And so he does the behind the scenes. And so he does all the legalistic things of my company, but I'm still the face of my company. And so if there's any, if I have questions about how to do things, I always refer back to him because he's ha- he's have so many years of experience being a business owner. Um, when he first said, no more you know, health insurance, no more working for the man. Um, what was your gut reaction to that when he said, I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to work for me. I was all for it because I knew that was him. Like he has, <laughs> we went through his middle elementary school yearbook and it asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be entrepreneurial. I want to work for myself. And so he has always had this thing about working for himself, building his own dreams. Since we've been together, we will like, we live in Cornelius and we will go to the lake and we will have conversations by the lake. And he will tell me his dreams about being an entrepreneur. Me, I wanted to work for the guy. I wanted to work for the rest of my life, nine to five, asking permission to get off, asking permission to, because I didn't have that mindset at the time. I didn't have that drive to work for my, myself and the motivation. So I supported him. I'm like, hey, I still got a job. I still have a nine to five job. So if you want to Where be- Where were you working then? Um, so I was still working with kids. I was still working as a, a childcare, you know, as an educator. Um, but I also left that field and started working for a church. And I worked for a church for about five years. Did you have health insurance? Uh-huh. So you were a full-time employee. I was full-time. Salary. Salary. Every other week I had medical expenses. And he had also like medical expenses through the military as well. Um, but when... When he was just, when he told me, hey, I'm no longer going to work for Harris Teeter, I'm going to work for myself, I almost threw up. I'm like, okay, okay. I trust you because you have, you always have a plan. You always write things out. But you almost threw up? I almost threw up because I'm just like, what is going to (laughs) happen? What's going to happen? Now, the better question is, Mm -hmm. why did you decide Man, to become I, an entrepreneur. It's risky. It's very risky. It's very risky. Um, I decided to become an entrepreneur. I got tired of being judged all the time. Being judged by my work, doing the, the annual reviews, um, doing the quarterly this is what we see you as. And we think you need to do a better job at this. And I'm coming to work and giving it my all, giving 110%. And so I got tired of living up to a certain standard. I got tired of being tired, getting up and like, oh, I have to go into work. Okay, let me put on my, let me put on a face and do the job. Um, I got tired of just, the drama of working with other coworkers. <laughs> and I just, I wanted to, all the things that I've experienced, because I've been working since I was 14. My first job was Chick-fil-A, then it was Old Navy, then it was working with kids, um, and then it was working in ministry. And so I, I have a really good work ethic. And I just, what really flipped my lid was, um, I realized I was building someone else's dreams. And I was like, what would it look like if I took the same energy 
and build my own dreams, have my own goals, help people that I want to help, impact people that I want to impact. And I just, scared and all, just took a risk and decided to work for myself. You helped me enormously. I'm, I'm tremendously grateful. Thank you. And I'll go so far as to say I think God put you in my life. Don't and I just me. I hate crying. <laughs> Don't make me cry. The people that are you, listening to this you podcast are so organized. Cry. You are Thank so you. organized. Oh. You helped me so much. It's entirely selfish on my behalf. Um, why did you decide to do this type of work? Mm-hmm. Um, like of all the ventures, why aren't you like making jewelry or cookies <laughs> or knitting little <laughs> doggy sweaters or something? <laughs> First of all, I love to knit. I love knitting. So how about for dogs? <laughs> I don't mind making a dog sweater. Um, I took so my company is a company that is focused on providing administrative and marketing services to other businesses, and. I have realized over the years that I've done a lot of administrative work, Mm -hmm. a lot of administrative work from working with kids, um, working in hotels, working in fast food. There's some type of administrative work. And I found that was my that was my sweet spot when I was working in ministry. The joy of being an administrator, email management, calendar management sending out emails on someone's behalf, that was like, I love that. I still love that. The marketing aspect is just- This is my nightmare. This is why you're very <laughs> good so, for me. There's so many people's nightmare. Administration, all the, the tedious- Emails. Tedious work, I love it. What are your dreams? That's a hard question. Um, because I, I rarely take time to sit with myself and ask myself that question. I'll do it for other people. I don't know why I won't do it for myself. And I think the easy answer is my dreams is to do things that I, I love doing. I want, like? I love serving. I love serving different types of communities. I love serving the mental health community. I love serving the LGBTQIA community. I love serving um, you know, other ministries that that helps other people, homeless, homeless shelters. But I think it's just, it's doing something that truly, truly brings you joy. It brings you happiness. Um, not only does it bring that to other people, but that it, it, it warms, it makes you warm and fuzzy inside. Yes. Um, and that's what I look at as ministry. Like even my family is my ministry. Like I come to, like they're my why. They're the reason why I do all the things that I do. Mm. They keep me going. I they're the at, big why. They're the big why. So they're, the, I call husband, that my ministry. Your husband, your daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I call that my ministry. You have such a beautiful family. They're, they're so wonderful. They're, they're, they're pretty amazing. If we got struck by lightning today and the only thing that survived is this little piece of digital audio, what is your legacy? <laughs> my hugs. <laughs> <laughs> I give the best hugs. My hugs give off an energy where um, that is there. It's self. It's not. It's hard to explain. Um, I'm not a physical touch type person, 
but I understand the importance of physical touch and being raised in a home that rarely got that. I love giving people hugs. And when I give someone a hug, I want them to feel my love for them. As I get teary eyed saying this. So my legacy is I always want people to know that I always have love for you. No matter what. Well, God bless you and thank you. I honor you. I respect you. Thank you. I feel extremely grateful and blessed to have met you. Oh, same, Stu. I see you. I hear you. (laughs) And I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Richly blessed. Right back at you. Yeah. Thanks so much. Of course. I try to not to say God put people in my life, although I think it happens all the time. I don't know why I run away from it, but I really do feel like that Dominique is a godsend, at least for me. And her husband, Brian, has met with me, and he is quite the entrepreneur himself, um, a veteran of the U.S. Army, and now helps a lot of veterans himself uh, start their own businesses. So it is wonderful to meet and know the Johnsons. Thanks so very much. In Her Words is a production of the Queen City Podcast Network in cooperation with Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative, Rachel Clapp Miller and Roshonda Pratt are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review. It really helps others find us. If you love us, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening. One word, no spaces. A small investment makes a big difference in lifting up the voices of women. Thank you so very much for supporting In Her Words, the podcast, manlistening.com, and VoiceLocket. VoiceLocket.com, my new enterprises, from the very start, as we round the three-year anniversary. I am so grateful. Thank you for your support. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks so much.